Hanger Andy has ripped the the little plastic cover off the top of the Pringles can and just 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 Pringles, Pringles just shot <laughs> everywhere. Now what? Now you're legit angry and still hangry. And you have a mess. And now and you got a mess sad to too up. because <laughs> Pringles are gone. Yeah. And then you're trying to clean up the Pringles, but you're slipping in your own tears. Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 84 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Sam and I make pictures. I'm sure I'm the game mechanic. I'm Andy and I'm the ethereal hammer slinger. Whoa! Yeah, so, uh, so because this is episode 84 uh, here at Coffee with Butterscotch, we have a tradition where every episode 84... <laughs> We have this particular combination of people. Um, Adam's taking the week off, and so we're filling in with Andy Everybody. and Sure. And uh, they've been in the studio now for over six months. So we thought we'd uh, check in with them on the podcast. You guys are still alive. They're so still good. kicking. Yeah. Yeah, that's, we're still kicking it. That's good. And then, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot. Warning, right. anything can happen on this show. Oh, yeah. There's going to be profanity and stuff. So uh, before we get too deep into it, you should leave. Everybody listening should mm-hmm. Just get out. I've told you this 84 yeah. times now. You still don't listen every yep. time. And today's January 31st, 2017. All right, what the hell happened last week, everybody? We're in dev mode. We have been crunching away on all kinds of stuff. Uh, Sam and I have been working on the farm game thing. Yeah, uh, so we talked about this the last couple of times where the next, where the way we're developing our next game is in these sort of big chunks of actual game systems, and then we're going to pile them all back together, uh, which I think has proven to be a good dev strategy so far so far um, yeah and now we're on smack in the middle of the farming game i told seth i was like i'm not gonna be able to do much art because i gotta prep these talks for gdc yeah so i sort of just left him to his own devices and he's been he's been slapping shapes together pretty nice i got some good placeholder art yeah in there pretty nice and uh and he's been working on a new tool for us in-house uh we we're calling it we're calling it <clears throat> dossy dossy but you know talk about andy yeah. yeah so it's a it's a contact collection mm-hmm. device so you can uh put in your your contacts that you meet at uh, uh gdc or pax or wherever and um uh, you can tag them and search them and contact them in mass yeah um so i'm cresting the hill on that this week mm-hmm. and should be ready to start doing testing yeah and 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 before andy started here he was not a programmer no and so we'll talk about that because we got some questions about sort of what it's like to learn how to how to program. Uh, and then sure is deploying his first Crashlands patch right yeah. now. Like right this it's rolling while we are podcasting. He's, he's just sitting there deploying it somehow with my mind. <laughs> uh, so how's that been? We just dumped the whole Crashlands code base on you. And now it's somehow magically your responsibility. <laughs> yeah, so three years of three years of work and I'm, I'm slowly absorbing them, slowly modifying them. And yeah, putting out the the uh, patch uh, 1.2.8 was out yesterday for Android and iOS, mm-hmm. and then it comes with uh, just some you know a little improvement like uh, double tap uh, warping and uh, some upgrades for the gongs and then uh, some bug fixes. Yeah, yeah, that's been that's been super cool. I mean, it's it's been cool to see you guys just picking things up and and taking off with these projects. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more interesting things to come. And also last week, we we had some really big changes in studio structure. So for starters, we introduced the Miley Minute, mm-hmm. which Very is- important. It's a great addition. Yep. Uh, which well, is the Miley Hour, actually. Well, it's it's we call it the Miley Hour because it feels like an hour, yeah. but it's just a, it's just one or two songs. It's mostly like a time warp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So about so between uh, 2.05 and 2.12 p.m. every day, we listen to one or two Miley Cyrus Songs. It really stretches the time out Just quite a bunch. Also, but we noticed uh, it was sure was you who noticed the the theme in Miley's songs because we listened to so yeah if you uh, listen to Party in the USA yeah okay which was in two thousand nine okay. and then you listen to We Can't Stop which was in two thousand thirteen it's a really sad tale. <laughs> Of this woman who goes to L.A. and is sort of all, like all bright-eyed, bushy bright-eyed, tail. all innocent and naive, and she's just like, "Oh, I see the Hollywood sign. It's so great, you know. Ooh, like, am I wearing the right shoes?" Derp, 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 you know. <laughs> and uh, but of course, the song is really about partying, right? Yeah. Like partying in the USA is like, I just got to L.A. I'm hearing my favorite song. I'm it. gonna start partying, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then 2013, we can't stop. Okay, literally, she has been partying for four years, and she sounds a little tired. She sounds exhausted. You her, know, 
her lyrics have gone from like actually singing to just being like, <laughs> like she's just kind of moaning. She just talks about doing Molly, about constantly. doing coke in the bathroom. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's a cry for help. Yeah. It really, is. somebody <laughs> needs to send her help. It's like, it was this really quick. It's a four years to go four from years. Like a, she's been partying for four years, and, <laughs> and that you was see the effects and that of was it. four years ago. The, yeah. She's really aged. You can so, you can see it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know what's. What's happened to her? But I'm worried. Um, well, it's weird because we, you know, we we went into the Miley <laughs> hour just for our own purposes in terms of giving us a little bit of slow mo during the day. Yeah. Um, and then I think that realization sort of started sweeping over everybody. Like, wait, this is a person this who's is in trouble. Here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's calling for help. I don't know what her next album is going to be, but it's going to be dark. It might just be. You know, a chorus of layered screams. It's probably going to be sort of like yeah, <laughs> screams and then sort of like Gregorian chanting. You know. And, just Miley sort of moaning in agony. Is this what L.A. Be. does? I've never yeah. been. I don't know. <laughs> I've been there. Our thoughts are it's with rough. you, L.A. Yeah. It's rough. <laughs> Our thoughts are with you. So uh, that happened. Also, we started exercising 7 o'clock in the morning yeah. as a whole group. It's, which, been, it's been pretty good. It's been good. So last Wednesday, we were, or Tuesday or something. Tuesday, yeah. We, we were just like, you know what? We're going to, we need to work on our health. Well, so this came, this came about because we do our weekly reflection things, right? And we used to go to the gym like maybe thirty percent of the time after work. Oh, less than that. Okay, less than that. Sometimes it's <laughs> like a group, once a week. Sometimes basically. like one person. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I think Sherb was just like, "Guys, we should exercise again." And we all just we have, we're sedentary. We just sit in our chairs and code and don't move at all. Yeah. And so we were like, well, we started going after work, actually. I think it was the first couple of days after work. And then, of course, like a, we had a bunch of stuff happening after work. And so we're like, well, you know, if we're going to do this, we should just go at 7 a.m. Let's just wake up. We'll meet at the office and then caravan over and caravan back. Um, and I think it's been pretty good. What do yeah. you guys feel? Yeah. What do you guys feel? I, on? I agree. Yeah. I'm just, I feel, I'm just full energy, just mm-hmm. bouncing. Yeah. Yep. It's good. When also doing the, doing the workout bef- before work means, you can't get away from it, right? Yeah. Because like if you're at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I'll go after work. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm in the middle of this project. I got all these things going mm-hmm. on. I got to cook dinner later. You're always like time pinched, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, if I want to stay and work on this project for 20 minutes, then it's just not the case that I'm going to be able to like make it home through traffic and time to get home for dinner as I planned, et cetera. You're like, I could work out for 12 minutes, I guess. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah. So plan it out. Do it before work. Boom. You're good to go for the day. Mm-hmm. And you got infinite time in the evenings as well. So yeah. it's, been, it's been good. And we talked about this before. Is like, you know, you kind of get the, this productivity uh, energy rolling, like this snowball rolling mm-hmm. since the morning, you know, because you have done this really hard thing. You feel all, you know, your, your, your muscle jacked. feels a little bit sore, but you feel jacked. <laughs> <laughs> like Seven, I was talking about this yesterday. We're like, yeah, now when we type on the keyboard, we feel like we're going to crush the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your, your hands, it's like they're just giant meatballs. It's amazing. Feel the power. Well, I was reading some stuff on, uh, on meditation because I used to do it, when I meditated, I would do it after like the whole day. It's so, like usually like 4 or 5 p.m. or something like that. And I, for some reason, I always thought like that was the time to do it because you need a moment to recharge, whatever else. And then I read something someone said where they, they were talking about they do it basically first thing when they wake up. And I was like, that seems like a waste. You know, like your brain's kind of this garbled, empty mess anyways. I don't know why you need to meditate. Maybe like, that's, first that's probably thing. why you need to meditate. Well, so what they said <laughs> was that the reason you do it is because it's, it's essentially practice for the rest of the day, right? Where it's like you're practicing on just bringing your attention back. Like that's how you're starting your day is with this little piece of practice in terms of focus and stuff. Well, so that, that's what I've been doing actually, or something like it where for the past, uh, for the past couple of days now, so we've been getting up, we were doing our 7am workout. And I thought, what if I just got up even earlier and spent some time just sort of getting my mental space, sort mm. of exercising my brain before I exercise my body. Right? <laughs> so I just get up. I've been getting up at about six or like five forty-five, mm-hmm. And then I just spend about a half an hour or 45 minutes just like writing in my notebook, just planning out all the stuff that I want to uh, make sure I focus on for the day and that I think about. And it's very helpful. You know, next we should start getting up at just like 2 a.m., you know, and just get the whole day in before the day starts. 
Yeah. And just do everything. Yeah. You suggest we become <laughs> just, carpuscular? I, yeah, yeah. I feel well, like. You should just do everything first before in anything. Yeah. And then it you're done. Like, <laughs> seems like the slippery slope situation. You know? Yeah. We're going to slip into nocturnal humans. Yeah. yeah. I'm fine with that. It'll work. Who needs the sun? It'll work. <laughs> well, we I mean, don't we, see it we, anyway. We haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just been clouds and gray and dark. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also uh, yesterday we had a big. So Sam's been reading a lot about marketing because mm-hmm. he's sort of our marketing stri- strategist, I believe is the term. Yeah, though I think that's a very dubious label now after looking back on all of our marketing. We were, we've been operating with limited information. Yeah. So Sam, yeah, Sam's been reading all about marketing, and uh, we've we've run into sort of this question about what to call our next game. Mm-hmm. Which we are still, you know, the game is still in the works and, and we're, it's solidifying. And so we don't quite know exactly what we should call it, but we are now thinking about the approach that we should take when we are figuring out what to call it. So what kind of things do we need to be well, taking so the, into so account? This is the interesting thing. So there's, there's this concept of positioning in marketing, which basically just says that uh, you don't ever want to compete with other products that are on the market. And so what you do is you position your product in such a way that it essentially exists in its own category, or if it's not necessarily in its own category, that you uh, you know keep in mind the other people that are in that category who are there first, because they're always going to be ahead of you. It's basically what yeah. the rule is, is. Whoever gets in the mind first wins. Hey, Sam, should I make a MOBA? No, unless you call it <laughs> something else, right? So that's yeah. the point. Um, because the, the idea is that there's just a power function as you go down in this in this sort of categorical selection. Like if someone says, oh, I want to play a hack and slash RPG, what do you think of? Diablo. Diablo. Yeah, right. What's the second one? Maybe Torchlight? Yeah. Which is very much like Diablo. And then what's the third one? You don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So Except the there's a shitload of, there's a there shitload are, of them. But yeah. this is the point is that it's, so in, it's a power function as you go down. So the first one that everybody remembers is usually the first one that was a, basically a large success that sort of implanted itself in the mind almost as like the category definer. Right. And then as you step in, hey, I want to play an open world uh, crafting game. Yeah. Minecraft yeah. is the first one. Yeah. And then Terraria. And then probably Don't Starve or Starbound. One of those. Yep. And Crashlands is somewhere like number 30, 32. 30, 12. <laughs> so, so, um, so there's a bunch of stuff going on. So the, the point is with a name that you want to choose a name that really effectively either builds or puts your game into a position where it, it is understood as to what it does and also how it is, how it relates to the rest of the market or doesn't. Right. And so I was just looking at, you know, we're, I read this book and then I was just thinking about all the stuff and all, the, all of our approaches with Crashlands and just realized that. Well, all of our games, basically. I mean, all of our games, actually. Um, just across the board, we, we suck at this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, that's an uncomfortable realization, but I think the one time I remember that it was really easy to sell one of our games was Towel Fight. And it wasn't because of the name, though, because the name is garbage. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's Towel Fight to the Monocle of Destiny. No one knows what's happening. But yeah, it also doesn't say anything about what even the game is or what it feels like, etc. In fact, a lot of people asked us if it was like a towel whipping game where you just like whip each other with towels. Yeah, over the, the, the big, yeah, big question we get is like, oh, so it's like Mortal Kombat, but like with like snapping towels. Which would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's not what it is. No. But that was one of the easiest ones to sell because of our tagline, which was shoot animals out of your face, right? We just grabbed something from that gaming world and that universe, which happens to be the sort of primary mechanic of the game. Um, and that's what we use to sort of lodge it into a lot of uh, critics' minds and stuff. And that was one of the easiest ones to sort of just pitch and things. It got a lot of coverage, actually. It It didn't get featured because nobody cared, but... Yeah, uh, Um, but it did get a lot of media coverage. And it was was so interesting when we were coming up on crashes because we had a hell of a time internally figuring out how to talk about it. And like, if you look back at the trailer, while we get a bunch of kudos on the trailer, I still think it's good. um, The trailer is basically a feature list. And the reason is because we couldn't figure out like, you know, when you have a game that's like 60 hours of content, there's fishing in it, there's some pet training, there's a bunch of crafting, there's a huge world, there's stories. It's really hard to think from the mind of the player and boil it down into something that would make them be like, oh, yeah, that's like yeah. that one thing is what I'm interested in. And I've, that's worthy of me exploring this further. And that's really what the marketing is supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, what we should have done is look at games like maybe Skyrim, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at a, at a trailer for this game. They're not going, hey, let's talk about all the different things you can do in Skyrim. You can eat 700 wheels of cheese. You can eat wheels of cheese. You can cast fireballs. You can charm a wolf. You can fight a giant. Yeah. You know, like that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have stuck, mm. you know? So, so really, I think we need to, uh, for, yeah, for our next game, we, we need to think about how we talk about it and how we come up with the name. Um, and we, we also got a question from uh, Newton's Nutella. Mm. This, and this question, these questions come from podcast.bscotch.net, by the way. Uh, 
Newton's Nutella asks, getting your game noticed nowadays is a big issue. Can you, can you guys go into some of the details involved with marketing your game? Forums you post on, websites or blogs you contact about your game. Is in-app advertising or sponsoring YouTubers worth the money? Oh. So, so naming is important. Yeah, so, so picking a name that is, that is clear and that actually takes, takes some of the work off of you with all the rest of your marketing language to position the product effectively is really important. The example we've been using internally is actually Don't Starve. Because to me, that one positions itself beautifully as like, it's, that's the whole point of the game. It's catchy, It's going to be harsh. And it feels like you're going to die. I mean, that's just kind of, it's got a dark tone to it for sure. Um, but in the case of just the general strategy for marketing your game, you know, we, we build, we build and maintain a huge uh, press list in the way you do. There's a bunch of articles. There's one on Gama Sutra recently about uh, a few different tools you can use to use it, to do this. Um, and you basically just build this huge press list where it's all the people from various publications and stuff that have written about games that are similar to yours in the past. And I think this is a huge step that most people don't necessarily do. So if you want to get into IGN, for example, um, or PC Gamer or something like that, don't don't just go through their like contact form. Take the five minutes or whatever to look up a game that you think is similar to yours. So for example, with, with Talifite, it's kind of like Binding of Isaac, right? It's heavily inspired by it. Um, but would have been a good approach at that point in time, which we didn't know how to do yet, which is why we hired a PR firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would have been a good approach would be to look at all of the uh, reviewers who wrote, all the journalists themselves, not just the sites, but the journalists themselves who wrote about Binding of Isaac and enjoyed it, and then find their email addresses, build that list. That way, and then use a tool called Mail Merge, which I think is like 30 bucks for a year um, on uh, through Gmail, which yep. lets you just send tons of emails individually uh, from a list. So you get Mail Merge, and then you just fire off an email to these people that's short, sweet, has like a GIF or some sort of just... Well, your, your email to them is a product. It is, yeah. Right? And so you, you need to think about their experience. Like when, they, when, when the press person receives your pitch about your game, they receive your information... Um, you need to think about what do they need? What do they need to know? What's going to be a good experience for them? Because you don't want it to be the case that you go, hey, I have this great game. If you want a key, send me an email and I'll and I'll get you one. Yeah, you'll right? never get an email. You'll back. never get a response, right? So you need to think about all the things that they need to put a key in the email, mm-hmm. easily accessible, um, links to trailers, you know, anything that they can just easily get to just like that. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the large, that's the sort of big... Uh, big punch with it. And the biggest thing is just to keep in mind the people that you're sending the emails to. And I think it's one thing people just fail to do across the board. And like I said, you make it, make it literally as easy as possible for them to get the game, play it and put pictures up of it. If that means literally providing them the game and pictures of it, so they don't have to go take screenshots. Link, link to an uh, Imgur mm-hmm. album that yeah. has all the screenshots in it. So they can just embed them, yeah. you know, in their, in their post or whatever. Make or it easy for they people because they get buffeted by stuff. And also the, the plight or the, the sort of general ploy of like, oh, I'm an indie dev, like it's my first game, or period, I'm an indie dev, uh, nobody cares anymore. because Everybody's an indie dev. Yeah. <laughs> we're down you're, not, you're not going to be able to sell your game off of sympathy points. Yeah. So save your days. breath in that regard um, and just focus on whatever it is that the game does differently, again, from the rest of the market or even games that are close to it. There's, there's also an interesting question, which is uh, some reviewers show a heavy amount of bias toward particular genres or particular platforms. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you may, you may be concerned about like, sh- who should I send my game to? If it's the case that there's a particular reviewer, say at just at some major site who just, for whatever reason, just absolutely hates crafting. Mm-hmm. And like every review they've made of a crafting game is just bad. Um, then don't send it to that person yeah. because they're not actually, they're not actually evaluating the game just purely on its merits. What they're like, they have a particular thing that they like and a particular thing that they don't like. And it's just not going to be the case that you're going to get a direct sort of like uh, accurate portrayal of what your game is. Well, I think so. it's also, you got to, is defining your audience before you pitch to them is very important. Right? Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, it's like dating or trying to make friends or anything. It's like, you need to choose the people ahead of time who you're going after and then shift whatever. Like if, if you wanted to go hang out with someone who likes playing video games, you wouldn't be like, Hey bro, let's go, let's go lift some weights and watch some basketball afterwards. You know, <laughs> and they're just like, that's not my thing. Yeah. What do you, and, <laughs> and the thing is though, if you do this on accident, it can be, uh, it can be really disheartening, but, but I think you got to understand why, because if you mismatch your audience with your message, they're not going to like it. Period. And doesn't mean, doesn't mean you made a bad thing. Yeah. It means you, you showed it to the wrong person. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the funniest examples of this was the Destructoid article we got about Crashlands, where yeah. that was one of the ones where we don't it have, wasn't, we didn't have it, a person. We never got a review 
we got a preview and they hated Crashland so much. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> that they said, I can't bring myself to play this long enough to write a review. Yeah, right? it was incredible. So, okay. um, yeah. Was and that was, that was one of those ones where we didn't have a person there. And frankly, I didn't do the work to like dig up a particular person who I knew liked crafting games. So just somebody. It. it was just it. some random person got this across their desk and they're like, fuck this. Yeah. And, and, and you know, <laughs> we, we talked, we talked in the past about how with our trailer for crash lands and, and all of our marketing materials and stuff are very whimsical and over the top. And we crack a lot of jokes and stuff. And, and if you look at the comments on our trailer, it's probably like three quarters of people being like, yeah, this is great. And then one quarter of people are like, I hate everything about this. Right. Well, I uh, want to talk about that though. <laughs> one of the, one of the things the, the marketing book talks about is that you cannot be successful without making enemies. Yeah, exactly. You, right? you pick, you pick your position, you be honest and upfront about the thing that you're making and recognize that some people are going to just hate it so much yeah. that they can barely see straight. And that's fine because it means you it's not good for job. them. Yeah. Yeah. You, you picked your, you picked Haters your crap. Hate. Haters. <laughs> they, yes. They just going to hate. <laughs> Um, all right, so yeah. let's get on. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was going to add, because uh, the question also asked, you know, what about like sponsoring YouTubers? Yeah. Do it? Oh, yeah. I want to share experience. So I watched this uh, Twitch streamer, Voiboy, mm-hmm. who basically frequently does, you know, mainly does League of Legends streaming. And I remember there was one time I was watching him and he was playing this new MOBA that was coming out. And then he made it very straightforward. He was like, okay, I'm getting sponsored by this guy. So, you know, I'm just going to stream this for an hour. And, you know, you guys can just, you know, explore this game with me. And then that game itself, I think, you know, it just comes yeah. short in many aspects compared to uh, League of Legends. So you can see the streamer as he was playing it, and he kind of got into this really awkward situation where he is, you know, he clearly doesn't really enjoy it. Or like the <laughs> but short- he's being paid to. <laughs> he's being paid to, yeah. So, so you will see that, you know, some of the animation is really bad, and he is like... He will have this awkward face. He's like, he wanted to say something, but then he doesn't say it. And he would just, he would just point <laughs> to something else that's more positive. And then that thing also fails. And then yeah. He, yeah. Wow. Look at yeah, the pictures I mean. on this bush. But, but again, like if you're, if you're a YouTuber and you're sponsoring a, or you're being paid to, to show a video, you know, that's, that's a totally legitimate thing. But on the developer side, um, don't send a bad game to a YouTuber and sponsor it, right? Like make sure that it's a really high quality thing and also make sure that, so for example, if somebody is famous for specifically playing League of Legends, uh, don't have that person play your game because their fans are there to watch that person play League of Legends, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to end up leaving a bad taste in people's mouths. So if you, if you have a YouTuber who like their whole thing is they're like, oh yeah, I just play like every crafting game or whatever. I just play the shit out of, I just love all these different crafting games. And that's what their audience is there for. And you have a crafting game then it totally matches, right? So if your game is good and it fits with the audience of who that person is and you just want to get some more exposure for it, I think it's fair, but you also can't coerce that person into enjoying it, right? Like it's a gamble, you know, make your game good and and give it to them and just say, I'm, I would just, you know, I'll I'll pay you to, to show the game, but I can't dictate how you feel about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if as a YouTuber, if you agree to, be like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna pretend to love the shit out of this. <laughs> uh, then you've well, kind of walked into that one. So yeah, I don't know. It's I tricky. It's a, it's a hard. It's a hard line to walk. I think for for content creators, right? And I because I mean I've talked to a few of them before where they they talk about any dealings they've had with sponsored content, which run along these lines where they're like because it suddenly makes it more of a job, I guess. Um, and it's great because they get paid, but that's, well, they have a client. Yeah, you know, that's it's, the it's, thing, it's different right? than than having a relationship between them and the audience where they, they get the Correct. ad revenue, the audience is there just for that, you know? Um, and it's, so it kind of yeah. reminds me how like, uh, there's just so much product placement in music videos now, you know, like every time you turn around, Nicki Minaj was like rubbing some Eos lip balm on her face. She's yeah. like, wow, look at this label. <laughs> how do you think they pay for all those music videos? Yeah. You know? Well, it's so interesting. There's always a beats, a beats pill thing. Yeah. Every like, time. It's just like a crappy little stuff. Stereo. Yeah. <laughs> the weird thing is about it, and I think so. There's been some interesting psych research on this stuff with regard to sponsored news content, which is that even when it says sponsored on it, when it's presented in the same format as the other stories in a journal news article and stuff, people don't necessarily people don't sort of put it in a different category as the as a different kind of news or like paid for news, you know. So even if it's the case that, so I guess my point is that this stuff has to be very effective. I, I could guarantee it's very effective to get uh, one of these people to play one of your games because um, I think the reality is that most people are there to watch, of course, like Markiplier, whoever, 
um, play play the game. But I think the reality is they're not. Even if you say like multiple times during the video, or if you had it have it in the title, or whatever else, like this is an ad. Like I was sponsored to to do this. Um, that doesn't necessarily discount the value of the play people watching it for you, if that makes sense. It doesn't necessarily put it into a different category. So there's yeah. a lot of really slippery stuff that's been happening now with. Yeah, I guess it can, revenue. it can be very psychologically manipulative. Yeah, it's a little weird. This is actually a whole season of South Park about this. Oh, yeah. about it's sponsored like, content. And but I think ads. it's actually like, there are people who you don't know whether they are ads or not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, they're, they're trying to discover like who's an ad and who's a real person. How yeah. do they, how do they discover this? What's the process? Interrogation. Okay. And, yeah. <laughs> and torture. <laughs> The only way. Yeah. South Park, yeah. This is the best way. <laughs> All right, so let's hear some questions. These questions come oh, wait. from... Before we do that. What? <laughs> I wanted to bring up... So we had our discussion last week about how if you could choose if you could choose your name as a kid, what would your name have been? Yeah. Right? And we realized that your screen name is actually just... It's that. That. Yeah. Um, so Diane and I were laughing about this. And I, I told her about my, my wife about this. And then she, I was like, what was your like email address back in the day? And it was... Red Hot Devil 93 uh, X. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, Diana. <laughs> I was like, how, how, how thirsty of a child were you? Like, what? And then she was like, she was like, no, no, no. The, this is the funniest was shit. Was it like she liked the Red Hot Candies or? Well, so <laughs> their swim team, their swim team was the Red Devils. Uh, right? Okay. Before swim meets, they would like write words on each other, like to make each other go fast, right? Sort of like war paint. Okay. And so they'd write like like speedy yeah. or like hot or whatever else, meaning like fast and full of energy. And then uh, her, the year she was born is 93, right? Uh-huh. But of course, looks like some somehow some sort of sexual number going on there. And then the <laughs> X, there's like an X and an O after it too, but it was her middle name starts with an X. Or yeah, her middle name starts with an X. <laughs> It's so so just all these totally this. innocuous yeah. things. Yeah, and then I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this is incredible. You just pile all these things together that are innocent. It suddenly you look just like the thirstiest 13-year-old <laughs> ever seen on the planet. Like, so I've just been referring to her as that whenever she says them. Now. That's whatever Red Hot is, Devil 93 this is, why we don't name, this is why we don't name ourselves as yeah, teenagers. Imagine getting stuck with that where you're like, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. Yep. It's not good. It's not good. All right. Now we're going to for real get to questions. <laughs> right, These it. questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, you can ask with your bscotch ID. Yeah. And if you do, and we answer one of your questions, you will get a sweet avatar of a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. It's actually not super sweet. It's, it's bitter. But it's, it's not about really, to be sweet because there's a butterscotch hidden there's in there. There's a butterscotch coffee. going into Ooh, yeah. it, but it's not in there yet. So it's kind of time to it's questionable. Yeah. All right. So first question comes from Ulf Bain. That's a good Ben says, <laughs> in a past episode, at least one of you mentioned having a mentor. Ooh. How did you find your mentor? Do you currently have mentees? Mm. So Sam, this is probably you. I've talked about him. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so I found my mentor in college. And the reason was, and I think the important thing is, if you're the sort of person who just like pays attention and is very respectful to people when they're teaching you stuff, then people will want to mentor you. People always ask this question, like, how do I get a mentor? It's like, just, just give a shit. Give a shit. <laughs> people detect that you're giving a when shit. When people are trying to help you, give a shit. Yeah. So uh, this is my junior year in college. And the professor uh, was actually, he's not a, not like a academic, but actually worked in the Center for Empirical Research in the Law, which basically just meant that they built sweet SQL-based websites for the law school. Um, and his whole class was just on on the idea of presentation. Uh, and we used all sorts of tech in the class and built cool stuff. And that was sort of my gateway into programming. But the thing was, the thing he said was that there were like 14 or 15 people in the class. And we all got along very well. And there, there are other great students in there. He liked a lot. But he said, uh, there's always, there was computers, like a bank of computers, right? That you sat at while he was giving the lecture. And he said, you're the only person. He's like, you just, you sat completely straight up, like perfect posture. And you and just listened. paid attention to what I was doing every day. And then Oftentimes after class, I'd come up and be like, so what, like, what about this thing? And I wasn't, everybody else was just like staring at their screens like zombies. Yeah. And I was, yeah. or they'd like be fucking around on Facebook, whatever yeah. else. And I wasn't angling to get a mentor. And I think that's the interesting thing. You about just it. gave a shit. <laughs> yeah. If you just give a lot of shits, then eventually someone will be like, I'm going to, it's actually worth my you. time yeah. to help this person. Cause, uh, Cause that's the biggest risk, right? Um, as a mentor mentee relationship is that you're going to be as a mentor, giving a bunch of time and energy into someone who just doesn't give a fuck at the end of the day. Um, so that's why I think a lot of the, a lot of the programs that pair up 
or that theoretically pair up mentors and mentees, right? By like matching them or whatever else. Uh, most of them don't stick. Yeah. It's just a little, like a largely known fact that like, yes, you can get a mentor in a technical capacity. Like you have one that you were given, but uh, earning one is a completely different thing. And like, I'm still very good friends with this guy and we get coffee once every three or four weeks. He's got his own business now doing his own cool stuff. Um, and he's been a great, he, it's been interesting over the, over the last couple of years because as I went through the cancer stuff, he was there and helped me through some of that stuff. And then now that he started his own business a couple of years after I started my own business and granted he's you know older than I am by a good degree. Um, he's been working in the field quite a bit. We've had plenty of interesting new stuff to talk about that actually is not just in his domain. Right. And so the, the sort of power relationship there has, it still swings around. If I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Then he flips into mentor mode. But otherwise if he's like, what do you think about this? business thing I'm doing. So you kind of more actually, equal, equal yeah, footing we slowly become a little bit more peers in, in certain categories. The student becomes the teacher. Yeah. And then if it's in Star Wars, then you have to cut him in half with a lightsaber. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> becoming so free, that's, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's unfortunate, but, but that's yeah, just think, the way it goes. But that's been one of the, the, that's the guy who got me into programming. Cause he, that summer after I, after I had that class, we were like the last day of class, we were walking down the hall together and he was like, do you want a job? And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> he's he like, I'll, I'll pay you to build websites for the university. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, it's fine. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And then I did. So, yeah. nice. uh, so that was that. So like, that was literally my entrance into programming and everything else was through this guy. So, so yeah, that's been one of the, that's been one of like the foundational relationships of my adulthood and of my becoming a adult in a lot of capacities, handling all my shit effectively, etc. So I think, yeah, as far as the question of like, how do you go about finding one? Just like, just demonstrate that you give a shit wherever you're at. Yeah. People will. There's a lot of people in the world who have a lot of valuable and interesting things to share, but they may be reserved about it because they're so accustomed to people just not giving a crap when they try to help them. And so uh, you just have to demonstrate that, that you're willing to listen and you're willing to actually engage (laughs) and and ask questions and and do the things that they talk about. And yeah. um, I mean, have you guys had any? Yeah, I would like to ask uh, ask something too. I think uh, I didn't do this myself, uh, but I was uh, I heard this from uh, another podcast. But then they t- basically talk about this idea is like, okay, so if you actually have a targeted uh, person that you want to that you want him to him or her to be your mentor, how do you actually approach that person? So Sam's situation is more serendipity, right? right. You're kind of like you didn't ask for it and then come to you. Mm-hmm. Let's say you know if you actually have somebody that is specifically you want to be mentored from. How do you get to that? So I think demonstrating, you know, that you give a shit is very important. Mm-hmm. And also another thing is that you probably want to demonstrate you have the potential to. If you demonstrate mm-hmm. that, that may, will make it even easier. And then the question comes to how do you demonstrate you have the potential? So uh, what that podcast has suggested is actually comes from Art of Charm, which is mm-hmm. a podcast that I listen to. And then, so the credit is there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Art of Charm. Yeah. So they talk about, you know, like you can approach this person. So you learn what this person's business is about or what he is aspired to do and what kind of challenge he's facing. And you try to help him solve his problems or try to provide, you know, like, um, you know, uh, try to try to basically see what their problem is and see what you can do about that and try to offer your help or solutions mm-hmm. to that person. And if your solution is good or, you know, the things that you can do really adds value to them, then suddenly, then, you know, they see, oh, this is a person that, you know, gives a shit about what I do and actually puts in the time and effort to study it and then actually come up with solutions for it. Mm-hmm. Then you have demonstrated all these things. And then, you know, that's a really good openers to kind of approach this person. And then, um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, give a shit. And then also, if you can demonstrate your potentials, that that probably makes mm-hmm. your profile even even greater. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I had a I had several mentors in college uh, Mm -hmm. because I was doing two different programs. I was in uh, geography where I had Dr. Morgan and Dr. Scalas and in computer science, I had uh, Dr. Thornton Mm -hmm. as a mentor. Uh, And I just got them pretty much the same way Sam said. uh, Just give it a shit. Yeah, just give it a shit. Going up, (laughs) asking questions after class. Hey, hey, somebody somebody cares about the thing I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I've got this cool project. Do you want to get in on it? Like, shoot, yeah, we're going to get in on it. Next thing you know, um, I got three mentors. So that was, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really not much to it. You just gotta give a shit. I will yeah. say, um, one of the things that we've that we've encountered pretty frequently, actually, mm-hmm. is people who are maybe like 15, 16, whatever. They're they're kind of like in their mid teens, and 
their mothers will contact us. Oh, yeah. And say, hey, my son is really into gaming and he's interested in, you know, in what you guys are doing. Would you be willing to meet and talk about it? And, and the first couple of times this happened, we were like, sure. Uh, and we did it. And it's usually the case that it's actually the son is just playing video games all the time. And the mother is like, I need to figure out how to channel this person <laughs> into being a productive member of society. Um, and it has so far never been the case that that has turned into sort of like a, a mentor mentee mm-hmm. relationship. So I think, uh, you cannot have somebody create a mentor mentee relationship on your behalf. Right. Like it's something that you have to do. You have to go, you have to put yourself out there and try to reach out to people yourself and meet with them yourself. Um, cause otherwise it's just not gonna, it's not gonna stick. Yeah. Right? Well, I think, and I think something that everyone's kind of alluded to here is that, uh, is one of demonstrating value in a lot of ways because, so we also get, we get plenty of asks for like, Oh, could I just come in and shadow for a day or something from tons of people who wanted to come in and just see what the work culture is like and, and sort of get an idea of what the industry is like, or they say, you know, I, I, I could just come in for like a one day a week and, and work with you guys or something like that. And I'll, we've you know, tried, we've done this stuff. We have yeah. tried it before. Um, and the really interesting thing about it is that it sort of, it, it comes from a place where it lacks an understanding of what that means for us, because the reality is, um, so for example, with, with you guys, like sure. And Andy, if I were to say, Hey, we're going to bring in someone, I'm going to need you to like teach them how to do web stuff or, or program. So I need you to, I need you to have them help you with the next patch. Uh, that's an incredible amount of overhead now that I've actually just put on your plate. And the reality is, so in other words, the reality is it's not costless for us. So a lot of people come to us with what appears to be a value proposition. Kind of um, be a fly on the wall or. Yeah, but the value <laughs> proposition is 100% in their court. Whereas I think your point is that with, uh, with the, the mentor mentee relationship is that you got to demonstrate that you give a shit and then that you can provide some value on the back end, Right. Uh, and not, not in such a way that it, or in such a way that it should offset the cost of literally of, of teaching you something. Um, and I think that's, that's the hard one that, that the whole idea of just, cause it, it is a cost. It right? is a cost. You yeah. have to spend time to teach you stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's the hard one. I think most people just don't get about this idea, of like matching up with a mentor is you, you really have to demonstrate that you, simultaneously give a shit that you can add some value that you have the potential to add a huge amount of value down the line. Um, and I think once all three of those things are kind of in place, then you have a really good chance of actually attracting someone's attention to do that. Uh, as far as like just, just getting matched. I just, I don't know of anybody who's been matched with a mentor where that's actually stuck, in you know, yeah. like honestly, I can't <laughs> think of anybody off the top of my head. I'm sure there are, there are, um, but I can't, I can't think. I mean, I guess it'd have to be the case that the person looking for the match gave a shit about yeah, right. getting a mentor, regardless mm-hmm. of what that mentorship was. Right. Maybe. Maybe. It's hard to say. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So next question comes from Elsieth. I don't oh, know yeah. how to pronounce it. but Elsieth. Elsieth. Uh, if there was one thing that each of you would like for us, your buttery fandom, mm. to learn or take away from your experiences... What would they be and why? This one. is very open-ended. That is big. So if there's like a, if there's a nugget that you could just bestow upon the people that is like the best nugget you have, whiz, a wisdom nugget, whiz nug. What do you got from your experiences, life experiences, experience working at, at the B-Scotch studio? So I, I will, so the weird thing about it is that, uh, so cliches, feel super empty until you've gone through an experience that suddenly makes you understand the cliche, right? Yeah. For example, people it's cliche are like, because everybody says it. Yeah. People are like, you only live once. Not many people have experienced that reality. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it's weird for this advice. Cause I think the reality is it's not going to stick no matter what, no matter what I tell you right now, it's just not going to work um, until you run into something. And I, th- I think, I don't know. I think like the most, the most, important thing for people to understand is that it's just that there's nobody, nobody in your way as much as yourself is in your way. That's what I would say. Yeah. You are the barrier to your own success 99% of the time. Uh, so get over yourself and go be terrible at things and then you'll do better eventually. Cause yeah, the first step toward being good at something is sucking at something. Yeah. It's an adventure time. Adventure time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my experience has been, it's similar. It's on the same lines, but it's basically, um, it's the idea of be deliberate. Mm-hmm. So don't do something just because you feel like it and don't do something just because it's what you just do. Right. So 
you know, I, I often harp on TV watching as kind of being like the de facto thing that people just kind of do um, because it's easy to do. It's passive. You don't learn anything from it. Uh, it's cheap and it's addictive, right? Mm-hmm. So people develop, they kind of build their lives around. Um, they get home from work and they just kind of, that's just what they do. They just do it. They don't think about it. They don't make a decision. Like on the way home, they go, what am I going to do tonight? Here are my options. Let me think through <laughs> mm-hmm. all the things I could do. No, I'm going to watch TV. That's yeah. going to be my thing. Right? Yeah, if you chose to watch TV every night. Sure. If, you, if, you're, if you're making a deliberate decision and you're like, this is the thing that's going to like make my life better. Because if I spent six hours every night watching TV and you just do that, then more power to you. Because hey you got a plan. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're pursuing your dream. Um, <laughs> just chasing your bliss. Yeah. But, but it is usually the case that, uh, and it's, dif- it's difficult to avoid because, you know, our, our brains are pattern recognizing and pattern uh, reinforcing mechanisms. And so the more you do something, the harder it is to stop doing that thing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so you need to make a, make a concerted effort to regularly sort of hit the reset button and sit down and, and take the time to think about what, what are my values in life? You know, what am I trying to accomplish? Where am I trying to go? And am I actually doing the things that I should be doing? And if not, how should I be spending my time? Mm-hmm. And, and just re, sort of rebuild your life to fit that. If you don't think you should be watching TV, get rid of your TV. Yeah. What's well, it there for? You know? As a back to the mentor thing, that's that particular lesson of just being deliberate and thoughtful is basically the one that was taught in that entire course. And then has been reinforced by this mentor of mine just repeatedly. He's just always asking questions. Think like, about stuff. Yeah. Think about it. And then do it after you think about it. Choose to do things. Yeah. I guess my wisdom nugget would be as sort of a cliche, I mm-hmm. guess, but, uh, I learned this in cross country and it's uh, just when things are the hardest, that's when you need to push even harder. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Kick it in at the end. Yeah, absolutely. As they say in swimming. <laughs> or is it, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Isn't that a yeah. good country The devil song? might not even know you're there. <laughs> in which case, <laughs> the red hot, bucket. red hot devil 93 yeah. <laughs> may not know. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. So my nugget is actually... Um, you know, who you hang out with also defines who you are too in a, mm. in, in a very fun, in a very, uh, in a very powerful way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, yes, you can, I think, you know, individually, you know, you can uh, try really hard to do something and, you know, try to, try to change your life and stuff. But you can make it even easier or more effective by hanging out with people who share the same values or share the same goals with you. And then, you know, because like that's the thing I felt like, you know, when I was uh, uh, when I when I, when I first started in the studio, I felt like, you know, like it was a really life changing moment for me because a lot of things that I wanted to do, uh, they're hard. But then, you know, when you see other people around you who are also doing it, you know, you get the. You get this energy osmosis mm. from them. You get inspired from them, and you know you can do it with them. And then I'm very proud to say, you know, like when we are doing the morning workout and stuff, it's not easy. Like a lot of the days, you know, in the morning, you know, you just want to sleep a few more mm-hmm. minutes, or you know, just not come. But then I thought about it, and I was like, okay, other people are counting on me. I can't let them down. We need spotters. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna drop weights on our faces. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, if I'm not there, if I'm not there, what if they drop weight on their faces? That, that, I can't let that. I can't <laughs> let that happen. After that, <laughs> right. So yeah. So us. Yeah. So I think social support is actually really important. Mm-hmm. You know, especially Absolutely. in this day of age where you know it's all about you know self-sustainment. You know, oh, just being independent. Uh, but you know, there is no uh, independent person, right? Yeah. Humans, we, we are social animals. Like we are social animals. Like mm-hmm. we build on each other too. So, you know, um, find, you know, people who share your values and, you know, uh, you know, you guys can, uh, strive your goals together, which a lot of times, you know, is, is, a, is much better experience. And also if you find your current friends or the people you hang out with, if they're not sharing your values or if they're not, you know, conductive to you, to you achieving your goals, maybe you should start, start thinking about hanging out with new people. Yeah. Be deliberate about it. Right. Yeah. Well, you're, you're just like how, if you want to lose weight, but you keep a bunch of junk food in your house, you're going to have problems, mm-hmm. right? And if you want to do thing A, but your friends always try to get you to do thing B, it's the same exact situation, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're a feature of your life and you got to rethink everything sometimes. So I will say that if I was just trying to go to the gym at 7 a.m. by myself, shit would not be happening. 
Oh best. no, I would have yeah. slept in this morning. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, they're gonna hate. Yeah, you guys don't, don't even go. know. This has been my plan for like a year. <laughs> Every day, I'm like, maybe I should go to the gym early. <laughs> and then the next morning, I'm like, nah. It's because you make the decision at 6.45 When you wake up to like have to go To get in the car and stuff You're like Yeah If the (laughs) night before you talk to several other people And you're like hey Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? Everybody going to be there? And everybody's like yeah I'm going to be there And then you wake up The decision is made Yeah you get back uh, 6.45 a.m. You That happened this morning Does not have any say in it Yeah I woke up and I was like Fuck (laughs) (laughs) And then I looked at the clock And I was like I could sleep And then I was like <laughs> yeah, we were like leaving last night. You were like, Hey, are you going to be at the gym? And I was like, Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to make the decision because I was so tired. But Gotta commit. But so the answer today is going to be yes. Well, this is actually an interesting problem, too, because a while back, uh, my wife and I were exercising in the morning. Mm. But. If you wake up with that person in the same bed, oh, yeah. then you decide. <laughs> you turn over, and you're like, "Do you want to go?" They're like, "Fuck that!" And you're like, no, "I don't want to fucking go to the gym." And you're like, "Me neither." And then you both go back to yeah, sleep. You need distance. Back you to the cuddle puddle. You need to yeah. meet somebody at the gym. <laughs> So that six forty or six o'clock a.m. You and them are not together making decisions at the same time because that's that's <laughs> not a, a good, good decision point. maker. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, all right, so next question, also an interesting one. We got a lot of life questions. This okay. Time. Uh, it's from Woland77. Whoa! Woland77 says, is work-life balance a dumb lie? They capitalize dumb and lie. Uh, if it is a dumb lie, what's a better lie? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like this person. <laughs> All right, so work-life balance. What is work-life balance? Well, let's talk about narratives real quick, because this is really what the question's about. Um, okay. So this is the idea of lying to yourself. Right. Yeah. So, so the reality is that everybody constructs their own narrative. Okay. About who they are in their life, what their life has been like, what that has done to them. And uh, the really weird thing about it is that if you, so if you're in a bad mood, for example, uh, it's going to be easier for your brain to actually pull up all the shitty things that have happened to you in the past than it is the positive things. In other words, your, your current mood sort of influences your access to the stories of your past. Okay. Now the thing is with someone who constructs, their own narrative, and this goes back to Seth's point about being deliberate about this stuff. Um, it's important to understand that, that again, that this is something that is constructed. Whether or not you did it on purpose is a whole nother question, and the answer is probably you didn't. But um, but the sort of general story you've told about yourself, if you're like, oh, I'm like a flaky person, or oh, I just always suck at X, Y, or Z. Um, this is a narrative that you've told yourself that then sort of spins into future behaviors as well as how you think about your past. Sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy it is. problem. It's a reinforcing problem. So... Uh, I just really like this question because of the fact that uh, the reality is that you you get to bend the reality according you get to your to mindset. Decide. You get to decide which, which shoes you're the bench. I wouldn't call it a lie. It's just the question of which which truth you want to live in, really. So because there's a, is what it is to you, right? Yeah, there's a book that I'm currently reading called I think it's called Designing Your Life mm-hmm. or something like that, and it's basically taking the principles of sort of creative design, oftentimes for, you know, product design or whatever, and taking those same approaches and applying them to rethinking the way that you do the things that you do just throughout your life. And one of the big points they make is reframing problems. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a, one of a designer's best tools is when somebody says, we're trying to do this, but we, we're having a hard time with it. Then as a designer, you can come in and say, what if we tried this? Or what if we thought about it from this angle, mm-hmm. right? And just completely changing it. And so some things that you think are problems are actually not problems at all because you're just coming at them from a really shitty direction, mm-hmm. right? And so he talks about uh, gravity problems. They call them gravity problems, which is, <laughs> I love the term. And it's the, it's the idea of, yeah, so I'm like, I'm trying to bike up this hill, but I keep, like, I feel so heavy and it keeps like pulling <laughs> me down the hill. What do I do about it? Which Maybe. you can't. Yeah. do anything about it. Right. That's just, that's just a fact of your circumstances. Right. And so, so you're focusing on this weird environmental factor that you literally have no control over and acting as if this is the thing that you should be concerned about. Right. It's like being upset about the weather in some regard. Exactly. Right? Yeah. There's going to, no matter who you are or where you are in life, there's going to be a huge number of things going on around you that you have no control over. For um, example, the general political climate of yeah. the United States of America. Yeah. It's just the thing that's happening it's, right now. And uh, if you're not a Congress person, change. you're going to have a hard time doing anything about it. Or maybe if you're, if, if we have any Supreme Court 
justices listening to the, the podcast, you know, maybe you can do something. Yeah, get on the bench. Which please um, do. <laughs> but, but average, you know, Joe Schmo is not going to be able to do anything about mm-hmm. it. So just uh, focus on the things that you can do something about. So if you're like, wow, it's really hard to bike up these hills. Don't focus on the gravity. Focus on the fact that, hey, maybe you should switch gears on your bike. Or just walk you know, it. Or just walk it. It's easier to walk up hills than it is bike. Or maybe or just maybe just try just to find a, maybe just find a way it. to only bike downhill just every time. Downhill both directions. Make your life the opposite of your grandfather's. Yeah. Fourth dimension yeah. type situation. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe get yourself a motorcycle. You don't have to worry about gravity. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's all about... Not focusing on the wrong problems. And if you think that something's a problem, it may just be the case that you're just, uh, you're, you're looking into things that can't be solved. So it's almost like the difference between a problem and a constraint. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Because a constraint is not a problem. It's just a fact. Right. It's just a fact of your existence. All right. So back to the question. Yeah. Work-life balance. Is it a dumb lie? Hmm. I wouldn't say it's dumb. So well, it's, is it a lie though? Well, <laughs> I think it's the thing. It's like, so the thing is we're, you, you're living in a, a constructed state, right? Uh, as in the way we've thought. So Americans are notoriously insane for how much they work, right? Maybe. They are. Well, I mean, according, well, I mean, according I mean, to the rest of the world. According to the standards of the rest of the right. world. So yeah. but that's what I'm getting at. So, uh, so in other words, we're, we're already living inside of a construct in which uh, working just a shitload and not taking vacations is essentially like the cultural norm, right? Yeah. Um, I think how many unused... It's like $56 billion of unused vacation days every year or something like that. Because Jeez. Americans like don't take vacation because they're like, I got to work. Um, we're going to give you the- Go vac- on a cruise, people. Yeah. Oh. yeah. We're going to give you the vacation days, but if you use them, then we're going to think bad <laughs> judge on you. Yeah. <laughs> so You better um, keep your phone and emails available while you're on vacation. Yeah. So the thing is, so when it comes to this idea of it being, so I guess it is a lie in the sense that, or, or truth, however you want to talk about it. It's a story. I, I reframe it. It's a story. Um, work-life balance is a story that you can use to, I think, uh, work with within the construct of the current work environment that we have in the current work culture, which is one in which work generally is is sort of the thing that tries to crush your soul out of you every single day. Um, if that's the case, then yeah, the concept of having work-life balance becomes, frankly, imperative for you to have and to develop. Because, because work is something that takes away from your life. Yeah. And then you got to spend the rest of your time sort of get, getting your soul back. Yeah. And I think- Just like to break even. Yeah. And <laughs> as much as we say in-house that we don't necessarily, like we we don't play by that particular story set uh, because the work environment here is good, I think. Uh, we have a lot of fun yeah, in the office. It's pretty we good. The, we have the Miley hour, you know, every day. So feels like an hour. <laughs> there's a dog. Um, there's, there's a, a dog. It's <laughs> uh, so like the work environment's good. The people are, are all nice. Everyone's just like crushing their stuff. And so it's easy to just do stuff. Like it doesn't feel like, I guess that's the thing. It doesn't feel like labor to come into the office and sit down and just start banging out well, some work. At, the end, of, at the end of the day, you're, you're tired for the right reasons. Yeah, you're like, which is not that somebody was like being shitty to you and you're yeah. just emotionally exhausted or whatever. Instead, it's just you just didn't leave anything on the table and you worked your ass off on solving right. interesting problems. And so in, the, in this particular case, um, the the concept of work or the, the necessity of having the work-life balance story to tell, I think becomes just generally a lot weaker because it's like you don't you don't have the pressures in place that normally make that a thing that you need to sort of be thinking about and asking employers about, frankly, because, because they're going to be trying to like, suck your entire life out for all the pennies they're giving you. Um, which means that naturally you have to be like, okay, how does work-life balance work in this office? Because I know you're going to try to crush me. So I need you to tell me structurally what you put in place to make it so that I can So I can exist. leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, uh, I think a good way to think about this is just the idea that you only have so many hours, right? In a week mm-hmm. or in a day or whatever. And if you don't, if you don't attend to your general life needs, like paying your property taxes, making sure like you rake the leaves in the yard or that you do the dishes or, you know, whatever it is, all those things just to kind of keep your home life in good working order so that you can relax and not have things stressing you out. It just takes a certain amount of time mm-hmm. every, every week. And uh, if you work so much that you, that everything else around you just falls to shambles and maybe like you get evicted because you forgot to pay your rent and three months, even though you could have, but you just were working so much, you forgot. Then I think you, you're probably out of balance. I yeah. think that's probably a problem. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm on board with that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, also like if you're, if you're not able to work effectively, I think that's, that's basically the rule we have here, which is, you know, if you need some time to just go decompress because we work like a lot and we work 
fiercely when we're here. Yeah. Um, if you just need some time to go do something, then you just go do it. Well, I think, e- e- I guess, I guess in terms of balance, maybe it's just that like each aspect, each aspect of your life, sort of like your work and your non-work time should not cause the other to suffer, right? Mm-hmm. So if something's going on in your home life that is just ruining you, then that's going to cause your work to suffer. Mm-hmm. And if your work is garbage, either you're doing it way too much or what you are doing is just sucking the life out of you, then your home life is going to suffer, mm-hmm. right? I think so. the one thing I want to point out here is that from a, from a psychological standpoint, there's this idea of uh, stress carryover, which mm-hmm. is essentially like, I mean, everybody who's been in a relationship or who has friends knows this effect, which is say like shit hits the fan at your buddy's work. And they're just like, every day they're like, oh my God, this manager is killing me and I hate this project, whatever else. And every time you hang out with them, this is what you get, right? Um, they don't just, they can't just leave it at work. Yeah. Yeah. It's part the, of their life. Thing is like, you know? the, the idea that there's a hard boundary between these things is I think inaccurate. And, and in my opinion, personally makes it seem like either employers or you are off the hook in some regard for managing uh, more effectively that time. Because the reality is there is no barrier between your work in your home. It's just, it's still, they're both it's parts in of your, your life. brain. Yeah. So if you have a shit and everyone knows this, if you have a great day at work, you come home, you're like, fuck yeah. And you just like have a great time at home <laughs> unless something hits the fan. If you have a shitty time at home, the next time you go to work, you're like a little stressed out because you got shit going on. Um, the idea that there is a hard boundary, I think is, is not helpful because it, frankly, I think it relaxes people's responsibilities to making work a thing for people to look forward to going to and also for cleaning up their home life shit. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a, I don't I think it's a bad lie in a good number of ways, frankly. Um, <laughs> well, it's just the it's way just the story. way that people tend to use it. But yeah, yeah. You got to look at the the, uh, the the consequences of choosing these various stories. Agreed. Yeah. All right, so we got one final question. This question comes from Gafferman. Gafferman. Gafferman, Gafferman says, "I'm hangry. Oh no. <laughs> Want to share a recipe for a quick yet delicious meal? So we got to be careful <laughs> with this answer because." He's hangry. Mm. He's not just hungry. So be I, gentle in your tone. So I think, you know, these think, are things that are lying around the house mm-hmm. generally. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so, he, so Gafferman wants a quick and delicious meal, but also he's enraged. So <laughs> how do we kind of hit both of those? Okay. So we need okay. to avoid glass implements. Sure. Yeah. Keep oh, yeah. away from glass. Probably so, sharp knives too. If I had to. So, yeah. If you're hangry, you want to make something without a knife. You want to make something without glass. Okay. <laughs> So this kind of leaves you, you got like, you get like a, a plastic spatula, maybe a, a wooden spoon. What you got, Andy? PB and J. Mm. How are you going to spread that? With, With a spoon. spoon. Yeah. Yeah. Spoon. And you could, you could even opt for the squeeze jelly. Yep. Get yourself. So you're going to need, what you're going to need is a, a hanger. A hanger kit. A hanger kit. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, I'm hangry. I can't function in a normal kitchen environment because maybe even start stabbing everyone maybe even <laughs> so ju- just set aside a closet in your kitchen that's your hanger closet because you don't want you don't want anything sharp in there yeah. anything breakable right put soundproof uh, panels on the wall mm-hmm. so that you can scream while you make your <laughs> while you make your sandwich right? you want you want bread bread is soft right it's soothing it's mm. nice right so you keep you keep a couple loaves of bread in there you keep a squeeze bottle of pb and j some plastic spoons Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't want metal spoons. And you no. don't want to have to do the dishes afterwards either, probably, because you're still going to be exactly. coming down from the paper hanger. towel. Exactly. Paper towel. Paper towel. Yeah. No evidence. Um, I think, though, if you, I had to spread peanut butter and jelly with a fucking plastic spoon, I would lose. Plastic, actually, my a plastic marbles. knife would be okay. Plastic knife would be okay. okay. That's yeah. You want, yeah, you want to get the like, sturdy ones. You know, you can't. It has. It actually has like a dime-sized surface area to spread stuff with. If you're trying to spread with a spoon, yeah, pla- and then also plastic spoons tend, they just kind of like fold and snap. You know? Yeah, you don't. You I don't mean, want to get it in like two or three spreads because anything over five is just gonna it's yep. gonna set you off. That's yep. true. Agreed. Can um, be efficient. Get a plastic knife. Go into your hanger closet. Begin yelling. <laughs> <laughs> Start screaming. Just spread that. Just spread that peanut butter on there. <laughs> It will scream and spread. Yep. So, so you got that. Uh, you're going to want to make sure that you have like a, get one of those little little fountains, you know, that kind of just has like a nice a like water. water. <laughs> yeah, um, water feature. Get yourself a little, a little jukebox maybe thing. Maybe some Enya. Play some, some Enya in there. Okay. So Erasure so, maybe. Erasure. Yeah, good too. Yep. Yeah. So, so there's your, so that's, that's your hanger meal. Those are the ingredients you need, I think. <laughs> Soundproof closet, plastic Plastic knife, bread, <laughs> PB and J, paper towels. You want a trash can nearby because you don't want. I mean, you don't want to have to walk somewhere to throw <laughs> your plastic elsewhere. knife. 
You're well, angry. You don't probably, have time for this. Probably get one with the, the foot pedal so you can stomp out some of that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, get like some tactile feel going on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, I mean, the the thing about hanger is you got to gotta remove the rough edges for the experience. You, know, the door, you don't want to have to think about Should things. the door be one of those like swinging? It should be like, like a saloon door. It should be like yeah. a saloon. You can yeah. just like, pa, just punch it in. <laughs> yeah. Start screaming and spreading. Yep. And then eat your sandwich. <laughs> Here's a question though. How quickly does hanger dissipate for you guys? Almost immediately, really? probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as soon as you get food in your mouth, you're like, it's good. Yeah. yeah. First bite. So it's not about having it in your belly. Is that correct? It's I, not about actually feeling full. It's about having access. It's to about food. access. You're yeah. enraged. So maybe you shouldn't have to make anything. You just have like maybe a can of Pringles. That's my wonder. Yeah. Maybe like yeah. a bandolier of Pringles. <laughs> yeah. You got you need, you need Pringles. You need but but with like when you buy the Pringles, pre-peel the top piece, right? Yeah, you oh, want to be Yeah, you get don't, that shit out of there. Cuz that shit you can't get it off like you got to get your fingernails under there. That's the worst hanger situation to be. Yeah, sure. uh, it's been the case hanger hanger Andy has <laughs> ripped the the little plastic cover off the top of the Pringles can and just 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 Pringles, Pringles just shot <laughs> everywhere. And now what? Now you're legit angry and still hangry. Yeah, because, a mess. And now and you got a mess. And sad to too up. because <laughs> Pringles are gone. Yeah. And then you're trying to clean up the Pringles, but you're slipping in your own tears on the so ground. So the point is, you know, to back this up, you got to design an experience. You got to understand the problem. Yeah, which is that you need access to food. It's not about. It's actually not about having good food. Just it's food. Definitely not about preparing. You just need food in your mouth. Yeah. So stuff like probably beef jerky, like a kind, like a granola bar. Again, pre-opened. Any pre-opened. Well, you could, it, you put, it into a, put it into a like a little jar, like a cookie jar. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like a meat like, jar. Because sometimes yeah. you go to like rip off the top of one of those beef jerky things, and like just a little slip comes off, and you can't <laughs> grab it. And any then other you're just piece like, of it, what <laughs> so yeah, you again, that's why sure. you got the soundproof panels, but is, but again, this is about be deliberate, you know. Desi- and plan a, plan ahead, plan ahead, that's, design, yeah. pre-design your hanger experience to match your needs. Uh, wake <laughs> up at two a.m. in the morning, plan your hanger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> rip open your bags, you know, while you're calm. Here's an interesting question: <laughs> Why does anybody get hangry? Like when they wake up, hanger seems to come normally, you know, evening. in the I evening, don't. in the afternoon. But I think it's, it's it. weird because like Cause when like, you, I should have eaten. That's yeah. almost what it is. Because like know? when you slip, when you Drafts. sleep, that's it's the longest good, yeah. time you go without eating. People you know, skip breakfast like all the time though. I feel like it's, I, this is what I'm trying to get. I think it's just like a psychological feeling of betrayal by, by your body, your body and the clock. Cause it's like, I should have eaten. I what have you done? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> is, it, is it even less about eating than it is about it's the principle trusting the system? Yeah. <laughs> Hanger is just, yeah, it's a principal problem. Here's a question. Are there any other bodily functions that cause rage when you don't meet them immediately? Like imagine if sleep, sleep I, well, yeah. sleep for sure. But imagine if when you needed to pee, because I've no, I don't seen anybody just, get angry. When oh, like, I, I get angry <laughs> when you need to pee. Absolutely. Especially in a car. Oh yeah. If you have to pee and you're on like a bouncy car ride. And you but don't, I don't have get the access. I don't know. No, it happens. This is that when you had the opportunity, like say you're going on, you're going on a road trip, right? Mm-hmm. And then you had the opportunity, like maybe before you leave the house, and you know you're like, should I pee? And you're like, no. And then your wife maybe asks you, hey Sam, you better pee before you go. And then you're like, nah. <laughs> and your mom, and your mom is good. like, your friends are like, you sure you don't want to pee? Then you're like, nah, I'm good. And then when you get on the car, and then you start to feel that in your in your stomach. Then you're just like, but and then you're. <laughs> But it's also then the social pressure because you can't admit oh, yeah. that you na- like you can't you can't say anything. You, no. You've already laid the foundation of lies <laughs> that you didn't have to pee, but, but you so, did. Yeah, is it the case? This is just a, a victim of circumstance thing. I'm saying we're just riding <laughs> in the truck and we're like, hey guys, I got I got to pee, and they're like, sorry about it. We're just gonna wait till we get home. Wouldn't pull over. I'm sitting there just worm <laughs> worming around in my seat like. I'm well, about so, to pee in your truck <laughs> if you don't pull over. But so is this, but again, is this actually not rage against the biology, right? As mm-hmm. we sort of uncovered here, but more so the general this social, the, this is the social problems around, problems around pee access. Right. It's always about yeah. access because in that case, they're like, if they're like, yeah, sure, we can pull over. You wouldn't remain, like you wouldn't be angry up until the point you peed. It's a weird thing about hanger, right? Because with hanger, you're like, I missed out on eating three hours ago and I'm going to be enraged until I get food and that's it. Yeah. But you did that thing. But you did that. You but did if, that to yourself. But if you go to like pee and you're like, I just really need to pee really bad. And then there's access to a toilet. You're not enraged about peeing. At least I don't think I've ever 
I never like peed angrily. Well, okay, let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask <laughs> but you I've this. eaten food. Okay, I got, a, I got a hypothetical for you. All right, what's All right. You're like, I got to pee so bad, I'm going to die, right? Okay. You start making your way toward the, toward the bathroom. Somebody bursts in front of you like, hey, Sam, <laughs> I haven't seen you in 10 years. Let's have a long conversation about something. And then you're now locked in. Mm-hmm. Are you enraged at this point? Uh. But that, uh, yeah, I would. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's that like would frustrate deni- me. Yeah, yeah. that's like a denial yeah. of access, right? Exactly. Right. You yeah. have access, and then your access is taken away. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But are there any other functions where it's like super guys? So it really, it all just comes down to access, right? Because yeah. the hanger, because the hanger is the same thing, right? You just like once you have the food in your mouth, you're like cool, cool, cool. You don't cool, need it in good. your mouth because like I don't know if you experience like if I if I'm super hungry and enraged and I go and get food, you got a burger in your hand. Yeah, when you have it in, you're just like the world is right again. Yeah, just everything <laughs> melts away. It's like a possession <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. Interesting. So. Make just set just build up, build a nice hanger closet, give yourself easy access to the meats, keep the vegetables, hang, hanger jerky or hanger bar in your purse, hanger, hanger summer sausage, hanger maybe sausage, some oh. hanger M and M's, just you're good to go. So that's been our that's that's our hanger plan. From Butterscotch <laughs> All right, so this has been Coffee with Butterscotch. Thank you for listening, and all the questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. If you would like to get onto future episodes, ask us a question. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try to answer for you. And that's all. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.